Hello and welcome to this live stream. Today we are going to be talking with Warren Drew about his new classification of life. I know the lighting isn't the best on this one. We can see Drew for Chung's a big man. He's going to tell us about his distinction in to um, water, tea and espresso. And also at the end, talk a bit about vodka because this man is very interested in alcoholism and such stuff. So, Jufu Chung, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. So, like, recently, me and Josh, I, I've come back to Hong Kong. Me and Josh have been, like, hanging out, talking with old friends. And yes. what I've realized is there's almost, like, three different kinds of social interactions. One kind is water. Water is, like, everyday small talk. And then you have tea, which is kind of... Like, it was like um, going with other girls in, in shopping. Of course, uh, Josh's, Josh's girlfriend, it's fine. He was very courteous when we went shopping Indeed. with other girls. Okay. And it's like a very calm, just happiness that comes out of, out of just being and seeing other people happy without necessarily engaging in extreme intellectual depth. That would be what I would call, um, call tea. So it's like slowly drinking maybe the entire afternoon, the afternoon tea. And then the third is espresso. Espresso is sort of this intense moment in a conversation, mm-hmm. which, which you kind of reveal something. You maybe even start to cry a bit. Like your emotions get all ramped up. Yeah. And it's, a, it's an intense feeling that feels quite meaningful and good, but can't be sustained mm-hmm. uh, sustained uh, indefinitely. Because if you sustain it indefinitely, then you're, you're just, you're, you won't be able to function at all. Mm-hmm. Since it's like being intensely in love. Mm-hmm. It's good. It feels good to be, be intensely in love. But if you're intensely in love all the time, then you won't be able to function. You won't be able to concentrate mm-hmm. on anything else. That's my classification between water, tea, and vodka. And I think you can match this classification of social interactions that I've developed as I socialize with other people with Josh. Um, and actually only with Josh. It's very funny mm-hmm. how, <laughs> how we only socialize when the other person is here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Mostly. And... Um, we can map it onto everyday life. Water is sort of the, these minute things that we do in everyday life, like um, making our beds, or maybe just walking to school, or having breakfast, having the same breakfast like as, as we had it maybe for the past month, for the past year. That's water. And then tea is a, a certain elevation on top of the everyday water stuff that we're doing, which makes it a, a bit more pleasing. And I normally I christened this elevation of water into tea teabagging so we whilst we have water we can teabag the water in order to make it make it more fulfilling and wonderful we just had one viewer but i think after hearing your um teabagging um imagination the one viewer might have just disappeared <laughs> i do think that that distinction was quite interesting and and the thing the idea about us like interacting with people has been quite interesting because like I think by interacting with other people, especially like alongside someone, you know, it's very beneficial because then even if the conversation is like the, the natural chemistry isn't as there with the people, at least when you have someone who you naturally have that chemistry with, it, it at least allows for the sustenance of at least some form of dialogue, which mm-hmm. is very, very interesting. And also when the conversation breaks down, I think when conversation breaks down, it's just as useful as when conversation goes very well. Mm-hmm. It's when conversation breaks down that you kind of realize realize what you want, like why you don't to to know what we don't want is is as important as knowing what we want. <laughs> and the breakdown of conversation, I think we can think of it as a way, to, as an opportunity <laughs> to grow and reflect. And that's also like how we teabag something bad into into something good. <laughs> So in the comments, there's quite an interesting thing. I think this ties into our current discussion, which is what are the best tips for overcoming lust? And I think that Andrew <laughs> Fuchang's um, fascination with his um, teabagging and his um, um, analysis of 
uh, tea to um, vodka or espresso might perhaps be quite a good representation of lust. In. So, Jufu Chang, what do you think might be some tips about overcoming uh, lust in forms of pornography or <laughs> um, masturbation or whatever these things um, fulfill themselves in? What are your thoughts? <laughs> I don't really have any uh, very interesting thoughts. Mm. I think Josh may have more experience in relationship with lust. But for me, and the thing about lust is what you want to do is you elevate your everyday experience into the dignity of tea. Mm -hmm. So making normal stuff very meaningful and meaningful and important to you. Just like when you're eating breakfast, maybe sometimes you'll go through it just um you'll go through it not thinking about it, just taking it for granted. But every day, trying to taste the breakfast new and experiencing everything like that, when you try to experience it as if, if you're trying to experience things that you normally take as water, as if they're tea, mm -hmm. and then you might get more meaning. And that's that's maybe an antidote to, to lust, this meaningfulness that you get just from living in tea. But I think part of lust is this absence of meaning. I wanted to go directly to espresso, mm -hmm. to... Um, to counteract it, when if we stay in tea long enough, we might not need an espresso boost. And I think um, building on, and this is something we're talking about, is that a lot of times the reason why people fall into pornography or lust is due to a sense of isolation or loneliness. And oftentimes when you feel alone, you it's very easy for you to be able to fall into such desires and, and become almost a slave to your desires. And, and that's something which is very difficult. And as a result, it's always good to have someone who you could be held accountable to, or at least have someone you're talking to so that that feeling of loneliness is gone and that you don't you do not necessarily experience that loneliness all the time and i think that when you have that kind of conversation uh, that will be beneficial for example you were talking about when you when you um before when you were alone you never really you always had that feeling of lust all the time but once you came to peace and yes you did i remember no, a few nights ago you were saying really? that that after you came to peace with um with the person and you and you came to uh, feel this uh, lack of loneliness well not necessarily that lack of loneliness but coming to terms with it you then started to overcome that form of lust i think it was more <laughs> a profound sense of depression Indeed. such that lust um, a tip is if you get really depressed you wouldn't you wouldn't be lustful anymore indeed <laughs> all emotions disappear <laughs> yeah along with lust yes though i do think that there are a lot of things you can do um, to fight lust, though, of course, it is a long and hard and a very strong uh, battle that um, that everyone has or at least confronts at times. Although, although I want to, although I want to, like, disagree with Josh in that today we're talking about vodka, right? Mm -hmm. And vodka is sort of this anomaly that I found out of my uh, tea, espresso, water category. Mm -hmm. And like this wild card where all the categories are sub subverted mm -hmm. you can't put vodka into like either tea uh it's it's not it's not really tea because you got like the espresso element but it's not really espresso mm -hmm. because sometimes when you're really drunk you're just like lying there like feeling good about everything although i've never been drunk so it's hard for me to describe it and then sometimes it's just water because russians drink vodka like water uh, mm -hmm. before 2011 it wasn't even classified as alcohol in russia and this and this subverts all expectations and all category categorization and that that was what i find vodka interesting and how it relates to the discussion on lust is that sometimes i think i don't really think it's a bad thing sometimes to give into <laughs> lust like you have to experience life fully and in some way right and part of it might be uh sinning a bit like doing, doing wrong things i may i think josh might disagree with me mm -hmm. but like pushing things to the extreme 
even like, okay, like knowing how it feels to kill a person, to murder, might be an interesting, <laughs> might be an interesting experience. I'm not actually saying to go and murder, but if I had a chance to like experience what it feels like to murder a person without actually murdering a person, I probably will do it. Like these kind of experiencing life really fully in the, I'll call like this experience maybe vodka. Might, might be an interesting thing to engage in. That, that's what we want to discuss Indeed. today. I think that perhaps we can use this point. And um, I do agree that these sun-kissed oranges are very, very nice. And these are interesting tips. But perhaps we can analyze this vodka a bit. And of course, if you want us to ask each other very intimate questions, I suppose we could do that as well. I, I've, I found a very interesting trend and very successful trend on, on YouTube, which is like asking my boyfriend questions I'll never be willing to ask each other. And, and maybe we could, although we're not gay, could uh, classify as asking my gay boyfriend <laughs> questions that we yeah, don't yeah. ask each other. That, that can be, that can I think that, that might be an interesting stream. So if you <laughs> so if you want to see that stream in the comments below, then make sure um you can hit us up in the comments or in the live chat. We will make that stream and give it a really clickbaity title. <laughs> and we could ask some interesting questions because we have been going around asking females different interesting questions, like what about lust and all those things. That, and I do think that one of the questions, which um, what you said just now ties into this idea of if you can do something without any consequences, what would you do? And I think that that idea ties into it. So, I, so before you respond to that, I'd like to respond to that point about um, interacting with um, these sins and feeling it. I, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with having that feeling, but rather there's almost this idea of you having to be in control of it, because I think it is oftentimes... The case, not necessarily the act itself, which is evil, but rather the lack of control provided when it vis-a-vis the action, which then mm-hmm. leads to tyranny. For example, yeah. if you are able to control the the experience, then that's all right. But then if you're going to say, well, OK, I'm going to let lust control me for long periods of time, I think that that could evidently have very, very big dangers on your life. Mm-hmm. In the same way that a lot of the times drugs necess- aren't necessarily the problem, the drug itself, you're not going to die from doing weed, or at least in most situations. But if you only do weed all the time and forget everything which is important in life, I think that that is the true danger instead. It's almost like, um, it's kind of like fermenting in, in pure water. You know how like in 18th century Britain, mm-hmm. people just drank alcohol, drank beer all the time because they're like, their water was so bad that you had to you had to like ferment it and turn it into beer in order for the water to be safe to drink. And I guess it's, it's a similar thing where you're like fermenting, like fermenting your your water in order to make it purer and and to make it, to raise it into into something I guess more meaningful mm-hmm. and greater. So once you have the emotion, the the right way isn't this reactive mm-hmm. way against the emotion. It's when you're reacting against the emotion. You're, you're in a passive role and you're you're basically defending rather than attacking and actually in control. Mm-hmm. What we want to do is to really get a hold of, on this emotion, mm-hmm. feeling its contours, and not, 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 I'm not like suggesting anything sexual here, and like getting its contours, right? And then like after understanding it, sort of like dissecting it and like fermenting it, even teabagging it, mm-hmm. using the previous metaphor, like teabagging your, your normal emotion and making it into like tea, to, for yourself to enjoy, mm-hmm. rather than something that breaks you. Mm-hmm. Go wash your hands, it's very orangey. But in the meantime, I'll respond to that. And I do think that this idea of making things, making the everyday things meaningful is very important. Because I think oftentimes, one of the problems which we do have in in life is that we, we almost have this kind of separation of saying, <laughs> what the hell is going on? <laughs> we have this separation of... Um, you have, okay, X, Y, and Z. These actions are my boring daily life. And then X 
and then A, B, and C are the good things in life, and you have this complete separation of it. I think that's very dangerous because then that has different categories, and and by almost categorizing life into that which you hate and that which you like almost makes your life almost a living hell to some mm-hmm. degree to say, well, I hate my existence when I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And I think that that leads to a very miserable situation because the moment you say, well, these few X, Y, and Z are miserable or these things are a living hell, what then comes from as a logical conclusion is almost, well, what are those elements of that? And that slowly would spread because you could think about what a lot of people say, well, work is bad or school is bad, right? A lot of those elements of these, if you just classify the entire thing as bad, would bring in everything else in your life as well. And by separating X, Y, and Z into A, B, and C, I think one is good and one is bad. That could be a very dangerous um, yeah. kind of illustration. You can respond to that while I watch my I hand. think I think I would slightly disagree with Josh here in that I think Alan de Bouton talked about this, that we, we have an idea that we want um, we want our work, we want our school to be completely aligned with our goals, and we want to be enjoying them fully. Whilst in, in reality, that's extremely difficult. And what we probably can do is to sort of endure through some schoolwork, some some really boring stuff in work, etc. And and then we can have like this demarcation between the, the boring stuff and interesting stuff. And mm-hmm. once we have that, and once we accept that there are some things in life that will be boring, we won't be really plagued by it. Mm-hmm. And I guess where we, me and Josh like, uh, concur here is that the, the thing, the, the really problematic thing is resentment towards whatever I'm doing. It's not only thinking that this is bad, but I am resentful about doing this. Once mm-hmm. I start to be resentful about doing it, resentment is like this disease that grows and it, you cannot contain it in mm-hmm. any area. Once I'm resentful about a, a, some small thing that I do every day, then, then uh, I'll grow my hatred towards myself and the world will grow increasingly mm-hmm. and it'll start corrupting other areas of my life. So you have to like teabag the resentment immediately, okay? In order to make, in, in order to like transform the resentment into like a nice cup of tea. Mm-hmm. I think that, that is very true. And I think our resentment is such a dangerous thing and something that you always have to watch out for because I think humans as a species has a natural inclination towards resentment. However, that, that makes it all the more important for us to watch out for uh, when that occurs. Now, perhaps we can move on in a bit, talk a bit more and zone in on the vodka analogy because in the past we had the idea of water, tea, and espresso, like what Warren said. But rather, it seems that vodka is almost the extra one outside the outside this idea in the sense that it incorporates elements of all different types. There's almost some drunken, there's some drunken joy of espresso, but at the same time, there is some fu- fundamental meaning to it, whilst at the same time, there is almost something which is boring to it. Mm-hmm. And perhaps you could, that could be the multi-aspect or multi-realizable nature of 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 alcohol it's like you can take it it, it's almost the moment that it's almost like a cycle the more drunk you become and the more you love that drunkenness it almost becomes water Mm -hmm. and the more you go it becomes water and the more you use it more specifically the more it becomes expressive so in some sense it it has ability to realize all different parts and that is where the idea of control is so important Mm -hmm. and you know the really interesting thing about this vodka business is I, I've been puzzling about like what's the counterpart of this ontological mood of vodka down into real life because you can find the counterpart of water, you can find a counterpart of tea, a counterpart of espresso, but I couldn't really find any counterpart of vodka other than vodka itself. So it's it's very strange how because it seems to be a very specific mood that we can probably find something too, and I think that's maybe the fixation of poets on like alcohol. 
in a lot of the poems, but I'm not exactly sure like how I can map a vodka onto daily experience. And that's what like I'm, I'm asking Josh here for. Well, do you think it is some form of drunken happiness in the sense that when someone is drunk with love or drunk with a certain form of emotion, that that could almost be vodka, but at the same time, that drunkenness of the emotion can oftentimes devolve into um, devolve into violence and anger and hatred as well. Yeah, it's like the violent drunk, the happy drunk, yes, and the, the philosophical drunk, yes. and like the, the sleepy drunk. drunk. Yes, <laughs> and then that is the the multi aspect nature of life. But almost you could say that vodka is the mode of being which encompasses all being. It's like when you transcend the norms, you become, you you enter the state of vodka, perhaps. So it's like going from the ontic to the ontological. Yes. What do you think it's maybe like anxiety, like high degree anxiety, like breaks down everything and pulls you into a certain nothingness? Or is it something more? I would say it's almost different, completely different, you could say, almost in the sense that, and, and perhaps ontic ontological distinction isn't even very, I'm correct because at the same time I wouldn't say that water, tea, or um, espresso are necessarily ontical, um, ontical um, situations, right? I, I don't think that's necessarily the case either. But rather, there's almost like a marriage of both of them in between, or which encapsulates both ontic and ontological aspects at the same time. Mm-hmm. And perhaps you could say that when it comes to um, vodka, perhaps you would say, well, this is the it is almost, I, I, I'm not sure exactly how you would label it, or I'm not exactly sure what words to use to describe it. Mm-hmm. It's almost this idea that I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. It seems like, okay, it, it's, I guess the idea, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting back on my experiences with water, tea, and espresso. And it seems that like vodka can be brewed out of all three ingredients. So like vodka does not require any specific material in life in order for it to become vodka. Rather, it's a certain attitude towards life that makes that makes life vodka, such that perhaps I was talking about like this really profound hug I had, just like with an old friend, and I just felt very happy after the hug, right? Uh, and that, that can be normally be classified as tea. But when I'm like really experiencing and understanding the hug, <laughs> you seem to be laughing. I'm not <laughs> laughing, though. I'm in a I'm in an intense state of um, thinking about the situation. It was okay. quite an interesting situation. Carry okay, on. Okay, like, like what I'm really experiencing is experiencing it. And I went before I was meeting Josh. I was like listening to some old songs. You're just like trying to understand the emotion. I think I go into a certain a certain vodka state, and I think Josh is right to describe it as a certain fullness that almost that overflows constantly even the kind of awe or wonder that Kant describes. And that's probably like, I think that's why it's directly antithetical to the Heideggerian anxiety. Because anxiety is that which leaves you with nothing. Whereas vodka is that which leaves you, that's which gives you too much and you don't know how to process it. And I'm, I'm wondering then, like, would you agree with this characterization? And how could we, so we, we, we kind of established that tea is probably the most important part of life. We want to make, we want to teabag most things. And then sometimes espresso is pretty good. Water, water can always kind of be teabagged. And, and, but sometimes there might be like some boredom in water that we just have to enjoy. We, we have to drink some water every day. And we just don't have to be, we, we just don't want to be resentful of drinking water. But how does vodka then fit into the whole, uh, whole business? That's like, should we teabag vodka? Or should like vodka somehow like a teabag tea or like vodka bag tea in some, in some way? I think it is almost a case that, um, Vodka is the 
Well, I think you would say it's almost wholly separate from it, though at the same time completely similar. For example, you would say, well, I'm trying to think of an analogy here, though. It doesn't necessarily come to my mind immediately. The idea that it is wholly part of all of them, but at the same time wholly separate from them. Like the Trinity. I like to use the yes, Trinity. Like two like people in love. It's like I am in you and you are in me, but we are also separate. Yes. And perhaps but we are not in love. Indeed. Though I think that it goes into the perfect question of Earth Unveiled, which said, are we living in a nutshell or, or life in a nutshell? I think that that is the true profound question. And I think that both of, I think both of the, the life is, is life is precisely both of them at the same time, maybe. But I do think you could say perhaps it is like a rainy day. The water is part of is part of you when you're outside and the rain just completely encapsulates you. But at the same time, you're not necessarily part of the water. Like you could get rid of it. It's not a good analysis. And, and, and how does this lead, how does this connect back with the whole vodka business? So the vodka is like the, the, the embracement when you go out into the world in the rain and it comes onto you and then you're, and you're soaked with the vodka. But then at the same time, the, the vodka the vodka is not necessarily part of you at the same time it's a mode of being which comes onto you not necessarily something which you do actively to try to embrace uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. i'm trying to imagine yeah the whole scenario so and imagine then... you're soaked with vodka but at the same time the moment you get dry it could still be with you but it could leave you as well yeah more, more please <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like it's kind of like when you're hugging a person yes right? it's yeah, like you're, you're surrounding a person yes but you're, you don't actually enter the person maybe sometimes you do when you're hugging a person you do enter them but most of the time you don't enter the person when you're hugging them yeah but you two are still like hugged. yes and, and that will be your relationship with vodka is that the idea it's more so the other person is hugging you uh-huh. But then you accept it. We have no control over it. Oh, so so and you don't know when it's going to oh, be. Oh, I understand now. So vodka is like the, the oh, that's kind of like the like the deities in in the Odyssey in in whole Homeric deities. I like uh, human beings were viewed more like this vessel for yeah. gods to come in yes. and to express these extreme emotions. Yes, and that would be that would be like our relationship with with vodka. Maybe like we should allow ourselves to. To be inhabited by vodka, by these spirits of our culture, not as like super, uh, supernatural spirits, mm-hmm. but these um, underlying emotions, poetries of our culture, of the human experience, and by embodying it, we we have a richer, richer sense of self. Because I, I also, do you have the same experience? I have another, a really prototypical male example of vodka. You know, it's like sometimes we're in front of the. In front of the mirror, you just like to do ooh, 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 like this. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Chu Fu Chung is a very big man. You can look at this, he's a big man. <laughs> well, that kind of like a vodka experience. I would say that's vodka. But at the same time, it can be perhaps a bit of a vodka because the desire to do such things is like, it doesn't necessarily come from within, but from without. <laughs> yeah, and then you, you see the mirror, like, oh, 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 I'm really And even man. my sister does that. Really? My sister, we just like that, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and, and then, like the vodka is, there's no, there's almost no extrinsic utility or end 
to the activity other than activity itself. Well, the activity is a self-generating process that generates its own end. And it's like, ooh, ooh. We don't, we don't want to show anyone. It's just, it's just fun to do, ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh. Indeed. <laughs> and somehow, like, it, it brings, it makes life really meaningful. But I don't know why. You know, like, when you <laughs> I think that represents perhaps the... I don't narcissism. Know, not necessarily <laughs> narcissism. It's the expression of the hard work that you put into earning such a physique. And you're like, I want to test myself. In some sense, it's almost like, it's almost a mix between self-love and self-hate at the same time, right? It's like, it's like you're going, you're, you're really strong. And you, oh. and you love the love the effort you've put into life. Oh. But at the same time, you kind of hate it because like, ah, it's still not oh. exactly strong enough. I could do oh. a bit more exercise. And then you're like, I could do more pull-ups or more like uh-huh. exercise. And then you could see Jufu Chung with the pull-up bar over there. And you could do more pull-ups and more exercise like that. And, and that is necessarily the part of the, the vodka coming onto you, I suppose. I think we are currently in like a certain vodka state. I suppose like that's the case as well. So how, how does this dif- differ from like espresso and tea, this vodka state? So I feel like we we can when we're together we get we sometimes get into the vodka. I think it is you induce you're the cause of the of the tea espresso and water. You're not necessarily the cause for the vodka stage. It almost it is almost a self caused a causal nature in in a sense that you are opening yourself towards it but not necessarily causing it. Mm-hmm. So the cause of the vodka comes not in temporality in in Kierkegaard's lingo. But comes from eternity, so it's it that that's kind of like love. In that we, when we're loving someone, we don't we, we can't really identify the cause in time. There's like no specific cause that leads us to love, and but rather it seems to be a love that has always been there. But yeah. somehow, I, I always always the love there's oh there's eternally my love is eternally caused at this moment. <laughs> yes. And that will be the vodka experience yes, indeed. of this complete drunkenness. With mm-hmm. it's like when so when we're doing the live stream, like we we get to just like talk all the mm-hmm. time, yeah. and there's no pause. And I I would classify that as a vodka experience. And I guess it's different from the espresso one in that the espresso experience can be very stressful. And yeah. uh, no, the espresso experience is somehow eternally induced. Yes. In that, uh, it's it's kind of like when you're because when people take espresso probably because they have to go to work. Yeah. Or they have to like take uh, take an exam. Like last time, how you almost fell asleep in your exam. Yeah. That would be like w- when you forgot to take the espresso, and that that would be like something that you're you're almost forced into, mm-hmm. without um, you're forced into by external circumstances without like yourself, your your self will encouraging. Whereas this drunken state, to to be drunk, you almost have to have like this voluntary cooperation and like summon something from. From within and from mm-hmm. without, together in this reciprocal relationship, mm-hmm. in order for the vodka to truly manifest mm-hmm. itself. Yes. So, perhaps the last question of this live stream: What Dostoevsky book should you read first? I, I did make a video previously about um, what what order should you read Dostoevsky, and you guys can go check it out. Let me you know. You know what? Video what Dostoevsky what book thoughts? you should read first? Like vodka. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that was funny. You should like get drunk. You should you should like buy buy maybe um buy maybe like twenty bottles of vodka and then like drink like drink three bottles of vodka in one night 
and then and then like experiencing hangover and everything. And then you might you might start understanding Dostoevsky. Indeed. Right? That might be an interesting mm-hmm. idea. You can go check out this video I put in the link below. Here you can indeed find um a video where I did talk about what order you should read Dostoevsky, depending on what um, aspect you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Though I do think that Dostoevsky is a very personal thing, and it really depends on what book you want to read. Yeah. And, how and I also read. think, like, for Dostoevsky, and for any, like, really good book in particular, you kind of want a personal question that's driving you mm-hmm. in, in order for you, like, to make the entire book completely relevant to your mm-hmm. life. And that's why I was talking about, like, drinking three bottles of vodka. Mm-hmm. I was kind of tongue-in-cheek, tongue but, like, kind of half-serious, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I think we're going to end off this live stream. I hope you've enjoyed some of the mix of different things, according like Warren Drew's um, exercise um, and all the other things. Drew Fruit Chug does indeed. Before we end, we could talk about the situation where Warren Drew ate the, the, the rind of the cheese the other night. It is as if he was eating the skin of the of the orange and he was like munching on that as well. That was quite a funny situation. However, I hope you've enjoyed this live stream. If you enjoyed this live stream, make sure to like and subscribe. It means a lot to me. It really helps this channel grow. I'd also like to thank you all so, so much for reaching 1,600 subscribers. It means a lot to me. And goodbye. I'll see you in the next one. Oh.